Welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, a discussion of your weekly roundups on top programmatic and digital news with other programmatic ninjas. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own programmatic sensei. You'll find everything we discussed today, including the experts' information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. In the Sunset's Corner this week, we welcome Matt Prohaska. Matt is the CEO and principal of Prohaska's Consulting with a 26-year media veteran and consulting executive to leading digital media and advertising technology firms. As head of Prohaska Consulting, Matt, with leadership team of 10 executives and a network of over 400 senior executives in 45 cities across the globe, he works with C-suite um, executives to help them drive revenue and reduce costs on strategic or tactical level by improving sales, marketing, operation products, and tech. You'll be able to find Matt on LinkedIn webs- and his website, and we'll share all his information in our show notes as mentioned. Welcome to the Sunset Corner, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ellen. Great to be talking to a sensei and to your audience. It sure seems like a lot of... Uh, companies and executives in the MarTech space um, and their clients and their VC and board members could use a little meditation in the center every once in a while these days. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. We're pretty excited to have you this week because we'll be solely focusing this episode on the MESCO, a conference you attended, you and your team attended last week. For those who doesn't know, the MESCO since 2009, has been the meeting place and community for key players in digital business, marketing, and innovation. And it takes place annually. And this year, I believe it was in Cologne, Germany. Uh, it has been for ever since its beginning. Yeah. Um, Cologne, uh, Cologne gets taken over um, for, for two and a half days, basically, every September. I mean, it's, a, it's quite a scene. That's awesome. Some of the articles we, we t- we're going to cover about two or three articles and is mainly focused again on Domesco. And the first one that I really want to talk about is by Ronan Shields uh, from Adweek. It's called What We Learned at Demesco 2019, AdTech's Week in Spotlight. Part of the articles um, and some of the three points Ronan really highlighted in the article was a lot of privacy concern, discussion around post-cookie world, and of course, the supply path optimization strategies or, or whatever that is now. Let's go ahead and talk about these three points. And just to recap, the first point was how ad tech must reconcile privacy concern. So we've heard about Apple, Firefox, Chrome, to name a few, all have and are continuing to attempt to tackle the privacy concern in their own way, right? So most recently, Apple unveiled an API called SCAD network, an update to the iOS app ecosystem, which it claims will help Advertisers measure the success of their campaign while maintaining a user a user privacy. Some of these changes have a direct and meaningful impact on programmatic revenues and CPMs as bid rates drop on account of for like lack of a lack of addressability. So this is basically <laughs> this is a very interesting um, point here, and I would love to hear your take on this whole privacy concern conversation, but mainly as we move towards a a cookie-less world, which we'll talk more in the next point. Like, what is your point of view with, with what Ronan is talking about? We have several pretty strong POVs on that. Ronan's a friend of the show. Um, we've known him ever since his days at the Drum in London. 
um, and uh, and across the UK before he uh, sojourned over here to New York, where we're based. Um, so nice. just rode the yeah, just rode the uh, bid switch express down uh, next to him uh, for a few hours. So I was able to bond on a lot of things that he's working on as well. We've always respected his work. So yeah, um, privacy is uh, and, and the moves that the top three or three of the top browsers have made have certainly dominated many plans and uh, caught some off guard and uh, unfortunately created uh, a massive speed bump in what we think is a longer journey towards building trust with audiences, publishers, and marketers. So let me state our point of view that we've said publicly now for about a year. We feel that the entire media world is going to be moving to be fully deterministic, fully opt-in across all media channels in every developed country by the end of 2023. So we said that a year ago, we're one year into the five-year journey. We think we're on pace for that right now, but a lot obviously has to happen between now and then, including this interim backlash that browsers are having, trying to quote unquote, protect their audiences from privacy when really all three of those entities, Apple's, Safari, Chrome, and Mozilla have zero to do with advertising. In fact, a couple of them have failed at creating ad models over the years. So it's understandable especially when Apple would then immediately after setting up their ITP first ad blocking and uh, lack of uh, cookie dropping and targeting would then launch commercials on television all over the United States and globally touting a thousand dollar phone that protects consumers uh, by blocking all ads. Like all consumers automatically want that and are in a financial position to pay a thousand dollars for a phone. We feel very strongly and we iterated this at the ATS London conference that our friends at ExchangeWire put on the Monday prior to Mexico, as they always do uh, each and every year and did last week, that it's incumbent on publishers, marketers, agencies, and tech companies to be able to create a commercial reason to have the browsers not go all in. And we know there's a big difference between what Apple has come out with today and what Chrome has come out with today, because obviously Google has quite a bit at stake uh, with their global ad business being the largest player in the world today, but having a Chrome browser, yeah, yeah, having a Chrome browser that whose policies are run by a very smart woman, but who is a woman who has never bought or sold ad in her life and has never worked in the advertising community. So it's understandable if it's only thinking about privacy and blocking everything that even comes close to uh, upsetting that trust. That of course you throw all the babies out with the bathwater and hurt billions of dollars of revenue. Our publisher operations team, for example, that has uh, worked with more than 190 publishers around the world with yield optimization, making sense of their open auction revenue, as well as their PG and PMP private uh, marketplace deals in helping their programmatic direct business take off. I mean, we have seen large drops in CPM with Safari only browsers, and with Firefox compared to others. And so we see this being an interim need where it fortunately is forcing publishers to get their act together in uh, getting more consent to be deterministic, like Google, Facebook, Amazon, LinkedIn, Twitter, and others. Oh, you. So let me just ask you to repeat what you said. So you're estimating that in the next four years now that we're yeah. going to move towards, the, you mentioned three things. Can you say that again for us? Sure. Four and a quarter years, uh, 
we think the world is going to be fully deterministic, which means that it's already determined, just like you log into Facebook and they know that you are LN and they know that you are right. Mo. We think that's going to be the case across all media, including television. Um, we also uh, feel it's going to be across uh, and not just all media, but in every developed country that has advanced like the US and Canada, UK and the big five in the EU, Australia and other major markets across APAC. Um, so that means that a lot of publishers have to get up to speed very quickly and get past the speed bump that they've had for the last 16 years thinking, oh, gee, we don't want to upset our audience by asking them to log in so that we can give them a more personalized experience on content and marketing. Obviously, Google, Facebook, and Amazon have not had that problem because they have demonstrated the value trade-off and the proposition of giving a little bit of information in exchange for a better experience. That's that's a good uh, segue into his next point, Ronan's next point about how to track users in a post-cookie world. And just to recap the article for the listeners, the IAB and others have proposed to ID everybody on Earth so that those who want privacy can thereby reveal it. I do not see how this could pass the GDPR test, and I'm quoting directly from the article. They mention also how the Traders Unified Solution could could be considered. Um, they've also covered in the last episode how I've also covered in the last episode how the industry should consider like a content idea approach stepping into the cookie less world. So, in your point of view, you don't. It doesn't. It doesn't fit your. I don't know if it fits your forecast. If we do move towards a deterministic world then that means it's it's definitely cookie-based at that point, right? Because everything will be still based on login or location. No, no, but login does not equal cookie-based. Cookies were created to avoid having to get login to try to stitch together probabilistically. That's the other uh, type of targeting. It's either deterministic or or probabilistic. So there are about 10 companies in the world that are fully deterministic with the largest global footprints ever. And then there are thousands of companies that are probabilistic, right? So we wouldn't need cookies. It would be opt-in. It would be fully GDPR compliant. And we've actually spoken with the IAB Tech Lab about this last week and have follow-up with them this week uh, in efforts to accelerate what Jordan Mitchell at Digitrust, now part of the IAB Tech Lab, and many other private companies and the IAB broadly in at least 10 countries have been working very hard towards. I mean, that's, I think that's also until last week, like I said, I we were talking a lot about, you know, an advanced on steroid type of contextual targeting, but I, I definitely get it. I'm getting excited about what you're proposing here. It will be so much more relevant in terms of targeting. And as like a media buyer, like myself, it will make things much more, again, I don't know if I can say this enough or stress enough, like how relevant and how personalized we need to, to be when it comes to advertising to consumers nowadays. So that's definitely exciting to hear. Yeah, the good news is that more more people are like you, Ellen, and more people are becoming broader consumers, and fewer people are worried about Big Brother and targeting and, oh, God, what are you going to do to me, despite Facebook and many other companies creating massive data negligence and breaches and abuse. Um, despite all that, there is still more trust and people saying, yeah, you know what, I'd rather not have untargeted pop-ups and 57 ads that I don't care about pounding me every single time I turn a page. I'd rather have people send me emails and deliver content and marketing messages based on what I'm already telling them and demonstrating with my behavior that I'm actually interested in. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Great. I mean, I we can talk about this topic <laughs> for days, but I uh, do want to hear your last uh, your point of view on this last uh, topic of his. And um, the programmatic buyers focus on SPO, which is supply path optimization. Quoting directly from the article, Paul Gubbins, global programmatic strategy lead at Unruly, shared insight on how Publishers were more concerned about protecting their revenues this year at Demesco as opposed to driving incremental growth in the years past. He further explained um, to Adweek how the privacy headwinds were affecting media buyers' approach to just how how many programmatic players they work with, i.e. executing their supply path, optimization, SPO strategies. I've always worked on the buy side and I've, I kind of have a good idea of how this will affect us. But what would you say we should pay attention to here, um, especially on the buy side versus the supply side? What I pay attention to and what we would encourage all buyers to do, just as Aaron Yazgar, who runs our global marketer and agency strategy team, has been encouraging all of our clients on the buy side for five plus years that we've been in business, is to shift business to out of the open wherever possible and move towards PG and PNP. Um, there's no easier way to save a lot of time and money and pain deciphering supply path optimization, which is basically trying to untangle a Plinko board of understanding where an impression gets passed 18 times, making that up, uh, but sometimes it's uh, sadly not made up. Instead of we're just going right to the source and going to the publisher and saying, why don't we have a conversation that helps us deliver a faster transaction with first-party data included from both sides um, that has appropriate tracking, that can tie in creativity uh, and still be done at higher value for the publisher and actually at lower price ultimately for the marketer because there are fewer steps and fewer cuts being taken out in between. So downstream the ROI, then not just on a CPM basis, but also on cost per whatever the end goal is further down the funnel. Uh, we see it time and time again, uh, continues to be an advantage for the buyer um, and a much cleaner transaction and more of the dollar working dollars going towards the publisher so that they continue to support award-winning content, entertainment, and experiences. I, I absolutely agree with you. And thank you for this feedback because even in the industry, on LinkedIn, talking to peers, talking to other agency friends, they are also thinking and trying to change their mindset to what you just mentioned. As a media planner, as a media strategist, I pay more attention to the supply side. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm filtering a little bit more. I'm less likely to work with a partner that I'm not sure about how well the inventory is being controlled, how well the inventory is being qualified here. So, yeah, thank you so much for, for this feedback. Yeah, I mean, we think the open auction is going to go down to 20%. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> down from where it started at 100 when all, you know, there's still too many people that ignorantly think programmatic equals open auction when it isn't. Um, yeah. It just happened to start that way because the entire ecosystem was built to disrupt ad networks who were taking unsold inventory yeah, yeah. and monetizing spreadsheets and IOs. We think that same 20%, which ad networks had, you know, when I was at AOL, I worked at adver with advertising.com, which we think was one of the best ad networks ever in the history of the industry. Been a pretty good one then, and you know we were we were fighting for our share of about twenty percent of publisher inventory. Uh, we think it'll settle back into that as more IOs continue to transition to PG, as finally the DSPs and SSPs 
with better data communication and transparency, audience overlays uh, allow for faster, more efficient, and more revenue to be uh, delivered through PG. Now let's move on to the the second article, which in my opinion will align very much with the conversation we're having right now. And the second article is from Seb Joseph in Digiday. There's a big question mark at the Mexico ad tech braces for challenges ahead. Um, so this, again, this, this article really highlighted the challenges, um, that we're facing. It really highlighted how the trade as unified solution as, as one solution we could consider and actually applauded, um, the initiative in the article. And I'm quoting here before we move on to some of the question that if you can't track people at all, then how do you know if your ads are working? This is from a senior marketer on the sidelines of Damesco. Another comment from someone was, there's a big question mark over how this is going to pan out because all of the tech that we've built and the way we track people is underpinned by cookies. We touched on this already, but what would you, and this may be repetitive, but what would you advise the ad tech and agency out there, you know, WWMD, what would Matt do in this, in this situation? What are you telling some of your clients um, about this shift? Yeah, well, swap the M for PC since it's our firm and, and obviously like... PC, <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's me, Sean, Scott Bender, and Aaron Yasgar, and a host of other people. But, um, yeah, I mean, full disclosure, we were one of Seb's uh, background sources for that for that piece. We spent about half an hour with him at New Mexico as well. Um, and uh, good, good, always uh, good reporting there. Folks that are still working in a cookie-based managed service I.O. world are already starting to fail and will fail greater in 2020 if they do not update and pivot their businesses to recognize that the race to getting towards true first-party deterministic data and then clean uh, sharing of that in second-party transactions um, are going to be the way to go. We applaud Lodomy, for example, for uh, launching their private data exchange. We think that's a great start, and they were one of the first to have an open data exchange, and Andy and the crew smartly recognized that a more you know data-direct uh, second-party world instead of third-party is, is the way to go. So we're going to look back 10 years from now and see that retargeting uh, someone and pounding them for the same ad for shoes, even after they bought the shoes because someone tagged them poorly and were just very lazy or ignorant about using their hot new tools, is going to look very uh, is going to look very primitive compared to how sophisticated uh, more marketers are already starting to work today. Uh, again, with proper permission and again doing it right. So fewer bigger ads that are more personalized versus tonnage and pounding uh, seems to with with bad attribution seems to be the way to go. Yeah, thank you for for sharing. Again, we already covered most of that in the previous article, but I, I still wanted to ask a couple that this question. So moving on to the third article and last article before we move on to the next segment. This is um, another article from Digiday, but it's, it was more on the fun side. It's called What's In and Out of the Mexico 2019. And it's basically a comparison of two columns between what's in now, according to the Mexico, and what is out. Um, did you get a chance to, to review some of the, this list over here? <laughs> Yeah, we did. We always love when Brian and the team do that. We agreed with everyone. We agreed with every single one of them except the last one. CMP and CDP. So in is CMP and out is CDP. Why? Why don't you agree with that? Well, we're a little biased because on Tuesday, uh, the day before that came out, we launched CDP University, 
Um, but we understand. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's a global training program actually helping people use CDPs properly, whether you're a publisher, an agency, or a brand. Um, but we can understand why Brian and team would think that because there's been so much talk about it um, that we're, uh, I'm sure your audience is familiar with the Gartner hype cycle uh, that famously talks about the migration of tech companies into the mainstream. And with the CDP world, we're now about, we're now entering officially the trough of disillusionment, I think it's called where there's a lot of backlash and people are rolling their eyes every single time they hear those three letters together. Um, but those are the same people who've never used it and have never evaluated it and really don't understand what it's used for. They just are tired of reading about it, which is understandable, um, but they get a little over that, uh, including Digiday, um, which again, uh, you know, uh, we know they report on kind of what people's first perceptions are and and party matter, if you will. CMPs actually are going to be part of CDPs going forward. So, you know, Brian's partially right and his editorial team uh, in saying that CMPs are in. Um, you know, we work with a number of them and it's critical for them to play a key role in the deterministic uh, profile setups for publishers like we talked about earlier. Um, and we know several of them in the UK and the US and APAC that are, that are doing really good work that we've uh, worked with on behalf of our publisher clients. But yeah, CDPs are, uh, again, customer data platforms. For those who don't know, the quick analogy we use is that CDP is to DMP as marketing is to advertising. So, you know, we've, we've all spent 15 years really doing a pretty good job improving paid media without touching earned and owned. So those two other buckets under the CMO or chief growth officer at brands or publishers are really important. So having to do with the content and social and email and PR and promotion and all of those important tools that also give a highlight and a, and a full picture of where someone is on the customer journey, if you will. Um, you know, not just whether they looked at shoes or a lamp on your site and bought or didn't. Again, kind of trivial and, and very, uh, you know, phase one basic stuff at this point. Yeah. Some of a couple more ins and out that I thought was pretty interesting was TikTok pitching to advertisers, which is in. And Amazon pitching to advertisers, which is out. Well, one. I, yeah, that was probably just a little bit of a comment on Seth Dallaire leaving Amazon for uh, Instacart last week. Um, right, yeah. Saying something's out doesn't mean that it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. It isn't as new and sexy as TikTok. Right. Amazon is still rising as the number three ad play with a bullet. So uh, they're doing just fine. Right. Yeah, that's true. And um, another point was cookie alternatives and third-party, well, cookie alternatives, which is in, and third-party cookies, which is out, which is part of our conversation right now. Yep. Um, looking down the list, um, there was uh, AI experts, which are in, and GDPR experts, which are out, which I thought was pretty interesting. I guess in, in the U.S., we're not even, I professionally think we're not even paying attention enough to GDPR, any privacy rules, especially the CPPA that's coming out. Um, so that the fact that the fact that Germ, uh, the DMX Co is already ruling out GDPR expert and including AI expert, can you lead us into this conversation? Why would that even be in here? You know, to be fair to Digiday, I think they're just talking about comparing what the hot topic was versus this year. Believe me, we had of our 81 or 82 meetings that our team had over two days at Domexco, probably Mm -hmm. 25 of them by my, yeah, just kind of looking through our schedule here again, um, had to do with other companies 
that are tech companies helping with GDPR, CCPA, and all of the other state and federal regulation around the world, or publishers, agencies, and brands trying to deal with it where that's part of scope. So, uh, yeah, it's obviously still uh, one of the hot topics and uh, isn't right. anywhere, obviously. And, yeah, there are, just, there are just more people saying they're AI experts these days than last year when, obviously, three months after GDPR, a lot of folks were positioning themselves in ambulance chasing, saying, oh, yeah, we can help you with that thing you weren't paying attention to for two years kind of thing. <laughs> Uh -huh. Okay, well, thank you for clarifying. Um, so before we move on to the next segment, do you have any other highlights um, that you want to share with us? Maybe something I didn't cover here in the, the, the interview you would want us to know, like, oh, by the way, this is coming, or hey, you should pay attention to that or refer to any, any additional articles or resources? I would say, uh, again, all of our services have to do with tech targets and talent and helping our clients. So we always look at the entire industry through that prism. So, you know, there was no uh, dire uh, shortage of tech companies at Domexico, of course. I mean, the exhibit booth space was down over last year. It was duly noted and obvious. There was one large company that participates a lot at Domexico that was nowhere at Domexico that was a bit surprising and not sure how much of that had to do with uh, the large traditional consulting firm in our space that was acquired by a competing quote-unquote event company or the Domexico new management that's in year two uh, taking over from Christian uh, and his partner. But, you know, so, but plenty of, again, plenty of, uh, of, of folks uh, touting good services and very, you know, Fortunately, uh, not as many below-the-line kind of bottom-feeding garbage companies that we had seen in the past. Um, again, we've already covered, I think, targets and audience data. And then the talent uh, was certainly there. Uh, a lot of folks made their first uh, trip to New Mexico and, uh, you know, were blown away. So, you know, we, we don't think the, the festival is going anywhere anytime soon. And, and a lot of people predicted it would become a German-only thing because of the people who were taking over in the original folks. And while there's obviously a strong German contingent just because it's in their backyard, I mean, it's still 50 to 55,000 people showing up in a city of 1 million um, and kind of taking over for a couple of days. So uh, plenty to do if you went. It's definitely something that's, uh, that's going to be on my list to attend. So thank you for sharing. All right, now let's move on to the next segment where we like to shine our, shine our diversity light on an agency, a brand, or creative, or anything related that has done diversity right or wrong. Do you have anything in mind that you would like to share with us? Well, Alain, I'd love to you know, kind of tie in our topic of New Mexico and, and this important consistent topic of diversity. And, and uh, this might be a little bit off the wall here because it isn't an ad campaign necessarily. Um, but uh, I thought one thing that was symbolically neat about this year's New Mexico is that our team counted a total of only two quote-unquote booth babes this year. And I think, you know, anyone who's gone to an ad tech conference knows what I'm talking about. Usually there are anywhere from 20 to 200. So we think it was uh, reflective of, frankly, a smarter and uh, more highbrow and intelligent way of presenting opportunities and getting people's attention instead of just eye candy to one particular gender, uh, gender in general. So that was one thing that was good to see. You know, I think that the speakers, the New Mexico guys did a, a much better job at, at diversifying the speaker mix there because last year 
they caught appropriate slack from that. Um, so I think, you know, again, gradually, it's just a matter of every single person who's running a panel, a conference, marketing their services, touting examples in creative or anything, just remembering that, you know, we do have multiple genders, multiple races, multiple ages, multiple sexuality that we're talking about here. And so, you know, let's just make sure we, we check all the boxes where we can. It doesn't have to be perfectly aligned, obviously, every time and where it looks kind of obvious and almost jokey that it looks a little forced. But, you know, let's just not make sure it's old white guys, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> thank you for sharing that because that's definitely something I, I want to continue highlighting on the podcast, but also just having it in, as a conversation because, I mean, there's there's beauty in diversity. There's so much more knowledge in diversity. So that's really cool that the school started paying attention. And like you mentioned, they were not perfect. They learned from their mistake. Now they diversify their Everything from the panels to the the speakers and down to the booth um, in in so many ways. So that's very cool to hear. I mean, our first full time hire four and a half years ago is an open lesbian, but it's not like we went out and tried to find an open lesbian right. to hire. It happened <laughs> yeah. that she was she was the best person for the job. So you know, it's just making sure we don't avoid certain folks, obviously. Um, but we're, we're thinking about uh, all folks as we. Closing, do you mind sharing three fun facts about yourself in less than 20 seconds? All right, let's see. I've got a clock here on the podcast thanks to your software provider. So uh, when can I, can I start it? Does the clock start when I start when I start talking for real? Yes, go ahead. Go now. That was called a trick to buy more time. Okay, three facts. Um, <laughs> my wife and I and our, my mother-in-law sued our wedding photographer on the people's court for shoddy prints and won. Um, I was a professional putt-putt player at the age of 14 and thought no for about three months that was going to be my career in 1986 to date me, or excuse me, 1985, uh, to tell you how old I am. Uh, and um, let's see, I, uh, I, I really, really like uh, a good uh, piece of music that has a good beat that I can dance to. How about that? <laughs> those are awesome fa- uh, facts. That, those are really cool. I love to ask those questions. Yeah, appreciate it. You know, again, Alain, um, you know, always appreciate the opportunity to talk about diversity and where we still need to make some improvements and, and obviously to kind of get outside of our uh, day-to-day here and realize that we're all working hard, but we're just a, a bunch of human beings trying to do the right thing. Exactly. And having, and having fun while we do it. Exactly. Yeah. You only live once. Any parting advice for any freshman ninjas getting into the industry? Maybe quick to-dos and don'ts, a tip that you learn along the way? Well, I would say uh, bring it back to our deterministic uh, ID graph pursuits and the, the work that, uh, that the industry is trying to do to kind of combat or at least address what Apple, Google, and Mozilla are doing. And kind of a broader lesson, I would say, always think about the motivations and the source when you're hearing um, statements, data, policies, and understanding why people are doing certain things. Again, if Apple wasn't selling a lot of hardware and a lot of apps to create a $900 billion market cap today, and they hadn't failed at advertising twice now, um, thinking they could sell million-dollar placements with no CPM just because you got to be on Apple, they got humbled greatly by that, then maybe you'd understand why they would suddenly have Safari say, we're not going to allow any tracking at all, um, because they have no commercial incentive in doing it. Unfortunately, there are too many companies that are putting commercial incentive and personal incentive over what's good for 
either the economy or the country. I mean, we don't need to we don't need to jump on a, we don't need to jump on a on a on a platform too much to talk about Facebook's uh, motivations these days. But you know, I would I would encourage everyone again to just consider the source, be a good journalist um, as a, as a fellow journalist. Um, in, in terms of thinking about where people are coming from uh, and make sure that you're asking other people to make sure that you don't take one person or one company's opinion as law. Okay. Review all the resources and continue asking questions. That would be it. That's great. That's great feedback. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so honored and excited to have you and hope you can come back and see us very soon in the next few months. Thanks, Alain. Anybody who wants to follow up, obviously, you can check with Alain, but uh, I'm at Matt at ProhaskaConsulting.com on LinkedIn, and, and our website has everything else about our team, uh, ProhaskaConsulting.com. Thanks. Appreciate the time and opportunity, Alain. And I will make sure to add that all to our show notes, uh, including the CDP um, courses. Yeah, that's right, uh, our, that's right off our news section. Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today, including Matt's information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Please take a few minutes to leave us a review wherever you're streaming this podcast and share with anyone you know can benefit from it. In conclusion, fam, we're all humans working in the fast advancing industry. So as a reminder, we're not saving lives. At the end of the day, our mission on the podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity, and educate ourselves as we build this community of programmatic ninjas or families, as we would say in my African culture. Stay confident.